We're going to jump right on into this. I'm really excited, man. Like, um, just really excited about this is just a fresh new word that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And um, it's been hard to hold in the last couple of days. Uh, I don't know if anybody uh, follows my Instagram or anything, my Facebook, but I I threw up a little quote a couple days ago. And it was, it was, came right out of this stuff. Just um, without jumping ahead, I'm going to, I'm just going to open up. If you want, um, if you're looking for a, uh, a title for today's message, uh, let's, we can go with either, I've really bounced between your grind as your gift and the gift of the grind. So either one of those two will work. Um, but I'm going to open up with 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 10, um, which feels like a lot of scripture, but <laughs> for somebody that isn't much of a reader, I listen to a lot of my books. Um, but you just couldn't get through, you can't just, I couldn't just read one piece. It was like when I read one, one verse, I felt like I needed the verse before that, and then I read that together, and I needed the verse before that, and then I needed... The verse before that, so I just, all right, we're going to go to the beginning, and then we're going to read down where we're going to get to, okay? So this is Paul uh, writing to the Corinthian church. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. It says with in, accord- in accordance with the scriptures because it had been prophesied. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance, or sorry, and, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and to the, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers all at one time. I think sometimes we forget that part. That when Jesus came back, he didn't just come and talk to his best friends. It was recorded that he came again basically to a, to a multitude, to a whole, a giant group of people. And it says 500 brothers, so we don't know how many people there were in total, but at least 500 men. Uh, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So this is where this scripture kind of gets funny for me, all right? Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You guys remember how Paul, how, how Jesus appeared to Paul. He was on the road to Damascus. Paul, if you don't know the story, Paul was... Um, basically a, a Christian killer, or at least somebody that he was a sympathizer with the Christian killers. Um, when Stephen was stoned to death, Paul was the one that held everybody's jackets so that they had free hands so they could get full rotation on those, on those throws, right? So Paul was not a good guy, and he was knocked off a horse, and Jesus came to him. He said he also came to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. So this is where I'll be honest, I'm a little confused by this. Because I feel like Paul is like bouncing back and forth a little bit. Because he's like, I'm the least of them, right? I was the last one. I, I was the last one. I killed Christians. I persecuted the church. I was the last one. Of, I was the last one of the apostles. And he says, um, but I worked harder than any of them. So it's like he gets humble and he gets just a little bit arrogant, right? I know I got to be careful to say what I say because he is Paul wrote so much of so many books of the bible but it's like he gets he's humbled and he gets a little arrogant like but i did i did a lot more than everybody else oh but it was just by the grace of jesus though so the question is man did you work harder than everybody else or 
Was it just the grace of Jesus that everything happened? Did you work harder or was it the grace? Was it the grace of God or was it your grind? He was a Christian killer. Got hold. God got a hold of him on the road to Damascus. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was accused of crime. So I think this is really what it came down to. For me, it hit me in reading the scripture that you don't have to have grace or the grind, but you actually need to have both. And they really go together. We need grace because of the grind. And if it weren't for your grace, if it weren't for your grind, would you need the grace? John 16:33, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Another, another version says you will have trouble. You will have trials. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I love, I'll tell you why I love this scripture. I love it because Jesus isn't selling anything. He doesn't say if you come, follow me. If you're a disciple, if you will... If you'll do the Ten Commandments, if you'll toe the line, everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to line up. You'll get the job that you need. Your car will never break down. Your wife will always be happy with you. He never says any of those things. He says, in this life, you will have troubles. You will have problems. But take heart. I've overcome the world. See, this is the problem that we have with grace, though, with life. The problem is that we have the grind. We have the grind of life. The big challenge in life is to live out what God puts in. It's the big challenge. What does God put in? God puts Jesus in. Jesus, I want you to come live in my life. The problem is we sometimes we accept Jesus into our hearts, and it's like we lock the door and throw away the key and never let him back out. The, the goal in life is the challenge in life is to live out what God puts in what else does he put in he puts in the fruit of the spirit which I want to note it's the fruit of the spirit if I don't care if you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you spoke in tongues but you can't love people then all you did was say a bunch of words that nobody understood it's really there's no point to your speaking in tongues if you don't have any fruit of the spirit and it's one fruit of the spirit it's not like you got a tree with a bunch of different fruits on it you're like I have love and peace, but I'm not very kind. Right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. You bite that one fruit and you get all of it all together. It's like one fruit. It's like an apple that can taste like an apple and an orange and a peach all at the same time. We would all love that fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Look did a little word, word study on kindness it's a word that I a word that I, even an English word that I never really used before benignity the ability to tolerate others is really what kindness is <laughs> kindness doesn't come from being nice to people you like kindness real kindness is being nice to people you don't like <laughs> living out Jesus means you're able to be nice to the people that get under your skin. The people that you don't like that are constantly annoying. Like, I want to be around them. But you know what? The fruit of the Spirit is being able to be around and be nice and kind to the people you don't like. Goodness, faithfulness, self-control, being able to not do things that you want to do and do things that you don't want to do. And real self-control is all found in com giving complete and total control to God. When we say, Jesus, you are Lord, saying, Jesus, you are owner, means I have to do whatever it is that you say, even if I want to do the things that, that you tell me not to do. Jesus, you're in control. The big challenge in life is living out what God puts in. You know, I think if marriage, if we did our marriage vows and the hardest thing that we had to do was, you know, in sickness and in health, I think a lot more marriages would succeed. But I think if we were honest, 
we might want to put some other things into our, our vows. Like, let's talk about the 334 pairs of socks that you're probably going to have to pick up off the floor in the first 365 days. Of- people, don't, people don't typically get divorced because somebody is sick. But people will get divorced over 334 pairs of socks. You'll have a fight because somebody didn't fill up the gas tank the last time they were in the car. And you're, you're rushing to a meeting or to work. And you've got an eighth of a tank of gas. But you've got to drive 30 minutes to get there. And now you can't get there. But then you argued about it for five minutes when you should have been standing at the gas pump. Pumping gas for five minutes. The gas pump. The gas tank. The pairs of socks. That jelly sandwich that you didn't want your kid to eat, but your spouse made it for him anyway. Though that's what we call the grind. Because marriage, man, when you first get married and you're on that honeymoon and all you see is beaches and hotel rooms, that is fantastic. Everybody loves the honeymoon. But then when you get home and it gets real and then you get kids, man, I love my daughter. I do. My wife and I tried for nine years to have a baby. We love her. We adore her. When, when I first saw her, now we had a rough, rough labor. I say we. It was mostly, I mean her. Yeah. <laughs> mostly. It was mostly her. But it was, it was a tough three days. But when we saw our baby and how beautiful she was, man, it was so worth it. I remember standing in like the, the nursery area where they, they're doing like all the tests and stuff and just looking at my daughter like, wow, this is my baby. She's so peaceful. I miss, kind of miss those baby snuggles. I love the big hugs and kisses that I get now. And when I come home, I, daddy, I, I love that. But some, the baby snuggles are different, right? You got that sweet little baby, and then you take your sweet little baby home, and they poop in diapers, and then diapers. <laughs> that was that was just for you. And diapers cost money. They cost a lot of money, especially if you get the good ones. You got to get the good diapers, otherwise, especially at this age, if I don't get the good diapers, then my baby might wake up soaking wet, and that's not good. And then nobody told us how, how tough teething was going to be. As soon as you get your kid to sleep all the way through the night, she's going to get a molar or two or four. And this might be too much information, but nothing, nothing is worse than teething poops. Nothing. Nothing is worse. They're the worst. Yeah, she's a blowout. Yeah. I love my daughter. But I can't wait for her to get potty trained. (laughs) Why am I telling you these things? Because those things are the grind. The grind. We love, we had an awesome gender reveal party with like the pink smoke that went everywhere. It was fun. Some of y'all don't like gender reveal parties, but you know what? We waited nine years, so I don't care. I'm going to live my life. <laughs> right? Gender reveal parties, baby showers, baby comes, diapers. That's the grind. Jesus promised you'll have trouble. Jesus promised you'll have the grind. You'll have the grind. But Jesus, I don't want the grind. I just want the grace. Grace is pretty. Grace makes you feel good. Grace is sometimes rose-colored glasses. Grace is a drink of water. See, this life will beat us down. It'll beat you till you're black and blue. And when you're lying in a pool of sweat, I don't know if anybody's ever worked out that hard. All you want is a drink of water. You don't care if it's a full glass, if it's half a glass, if it's just the slightest tiniest bit of water that's in a water bottle in your car that's been sitting there in the middle of June 
If you have been sweating all day and you are thirsty, you will contemplate how long that water's been sitting there and decide, do I want the water and chance getting some kind of bacterial infection or am I going to leave it there? And if you have been there before, you will chance that bacterial infection. You will because you need every drop. That's how it is with grace. When we're going through the grind, you're saying, God, I just want your grace. I don't want the grind anymore. And you want every drop of grace that you can find. But sometimes you have to go through the grind. I'm going to tell you this. You are saved by grace. But you are shaped by your grind. You're saved by grace. But you're shaped by the grind. Life doesn't have to feel good to be good. Life doesn't have to feel good to be good. I've learned, I've learned one thing in the last few years. Feelings are liars. They will lie to you so fast. They'll tell you that you are in love when you're not. They'll tell you that you're not in love when you are. They'll tell you that you're depressed, but you're not. They'll tell you all kinds of things. That nobody loves you, but you've got friends surrounding you. They'll tell you that your life isn't worth living, but you have purpose. You're just going through the grind. I'm here this morning to tell you that your grind is your gift. doesn't feel like it, but it is. I help you understand how to recognize your grind as your gift because... It's not all wrapped up. It's not always all wrapped up like it, you would think a gift is wrapped up. You want to recognize your grind as your gift. The first thing you got to do is you have to trust in the Lord. If we want to accept the grind, if we want to accept the grind as our gift and recognize it for what it is, we have to change our perspective. You know, so often the only vantage point we see our lives from is from our own eyes because so often all we look with are our own eyes and how can we look from any other vantage point Preston it's Romans 12 2 don't conform yourselves to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind you know the big problem with your grind is just your mind the big problem with what you're going through is what's going on in your head. Anybody have a cell phone? Anybody ever had to hard reset a cell phone before? Whenever my wife has to like do anything with, with her cell phone, it freaks her out because she's so scared of losing all of her pictures. So scared. Now we've got the cloud and everything, but years ago when you didn't have the cloud, if you had to hard reset your phone, it was gone, right? That's what renewing your mind is like. Forget the cloud, disconnect that, and hard reset your brain is what Romans 12.2 is talking about. Hard reset it. Get to a place that you can't come back from. And say, you know what? I've been thinking this way, and I want to think this way now. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm never going back that way again. That's what renewing your mind is like. You get rid of all of your past experiences, all of the hurts, all of the disappointments that might tell you that one thing is true when it's not. Reset your mind. When we hard reset our minds, when we renew our minds, we start looking at life from God's view. When we look at our lives from God's point of view, we realize everything in life is one of these two things. It's either a test or it's a trust. Everything in life is either a test or a trust. And this is, I'm going to use this. Hold on. This is a test, all right? Test means I have to get over something. Did it. Right? I was able to do it. Maybe it's a little difficult, more difficult. Right, but I did it. I didn't need any help. Right? Because this was, this was hard, but I could do it myself. 
Now, this is where this is a trust. Why? Because I can't climb over this by myself. Because if I do, I'm going to fall flat on my face. I at least need a few people to hold this still and probably somebody else to maybe chuck me over like Todd. He looks like he could do it. <laughs> if you're not holding this, then I'm going to get Todd to throw me as hard as he can. See if I can get over this. Difference between a test and a trust. You're tested because you have to do something or you have to trust. Trust that God is going to help you through it. Life is all a test or a trust. Knowing that all of life is a test or a trust is a foundation for being able to embrace the grind. God, I can't do this. You're right, because this is a trust exercise. I need you to trust me, or I need you to trust your friends. I need you to trust your pastor who's telling you to live life a very specific way, and you keep eating up all his time, and you never do what he says to do. But then you keep coming back to ask for more advice that you're not going to take anyway. So you got to trust him that he might know what he's talking about. That he might have a connection with me that you're not connected with. All right, so trust. I can't do it alone. You're right. Don't do it alone then. Stop trying to do it by yourself. That's not the point. You've got to trust. A test gets you over the hill. When we understand that life is a test, we realize that nothing, or a test or a trust, we realize that nothing is insignificant. And even the smallest incident has possibility to bring great significance. I think the big problem that we have in life is we float. And just one thing is just that one thing. But everything in life is significant. There are people that get put in our paths all the time that could absolutely either change your life or you could change theirs. But we just see them as a guy at the mall. Everything is significant. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your, your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust. Trust is belief in the re reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. That's what trust is. It's a belief. So the fact is, is if there's something in your life that you don't trust God with, it's actually not a trust issue. It's a belief issue. I got trust issues. If you've ever been to a fast food restaurant, you don't have trust issues. You don't. You don't, because those people aren't getting paid nearly enough to make chemical food that you put in your body. They just aren't. If you've ever flown in a plane, you don't have trust issues. If you had trust issues, really had trust issues, you'd ask to, like, interview the pilot, go have coffee with him, become his best friend. And guess what? If you require all that, you're never getting on a plane. This isn't going to happen. You don't have trust issues. You have belief issues. You either believe that God isn't good enough, big enough, strong enough, or doesn't love you enough to take care of you. You don't believe God can or will come through. Your experiences in your past tell you that you can only depend on you. That's you know that God is the same today Yesterday, forever, the same God that created the universe, who sent his son to die, who split the sea, loves you more than you could ever imagine. And this other part of this scripture, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Another word for acknowledge is recognize. In all your ways, recognize God. And when you recognize somebody, if you're out, if you're out at a restaurant, and you see somebody that you know, unless you're a jerk, you, you give them a nod or a wave or, hey, what's up? what are you doing here? It's a restaurant meeting. I always find that really funny whenever you see somebody at a restaurant. What are you doing here? You talk to them, right? 
In all your ways, recognize God. In everything that you do, recognize God. Know this. If there's an area of your life that isn't working out for you, you need to be honest with yourself and ask, am I giving God a nod in that area of my life? Or am I ignoring him in that area of my life? Guarantee, God is there. It's your job to recognize him. In your marriage, in your family, in your finances, in your dreams. Recognize him. It means know who he is. You recognize people because you know them. You got to recognize him for who he is. He is God. He is king. He is Lord. Those are some kind of medieval words that we use in church. Another one would be, he, I use a lot as owner. So we don't like that term because... We feel tied down, but it is what it is. He's the owner of your life. When you say, God, I give you my everything, guess what? You just signed the papers. Recognize him as those things, as sovereign in your life, your whole life. Right now, even think about what, what is the thing that I'm not giving over? What part of my life is my grind right now? Am I recognizing God in that part of my life? First thing is trust in the Lord. Second thing, embrace the grind. My favorite, my favorite sport is wrestling. Anybody that knows me knows my favorite sport is wrestling. My first, my first sport love is wrestling. One of the reasons why I love it so much is most sports you can get by with talent, not in wrestling. The most talented kid doesn't always win. Because what it comes down to is talent, but it's also grit. It's also who's toughest, who wants it the most. Because you can want it a lot, but unless you know how to shoot a basketball into a hoop, you're not going to get away with it. But you, two, you put two kids in the same weight class out on a, in the middle of the mat, and they're relatively, they they're relatively have the same amount of skill. If one kid wants it more, that one kid is going to win. I love wrestling. Some people fold under the pressure that wrestlers face, but real wrestlers love the grind. I've been coaching wrestling for 11 years now, seventh year as a head coach at Lynn Haven Middle School. And one of my goals, it sounds really mean, but one of my goals in like the first week or two of wrestling practice is I try to get at least one kid to throw up. <laughs> it sounds really mean. But it is what it is. If I'm not pushing the one kid that sits on his behind and plays Call of Duty all year long, to either quit or puke, then I'm not working my athletes out hard enough. I push them as hard as I can. And then, as soon as they think I'm easing up, I change the script and I do something else with them. And I just push them harder. And the ones that are real, the ones that, I, that are dogs that are out there for the real reasons, because they want to be the best they can absolutely be, they embrace it. They're doing 50 sprawls, which is like up-downs for football. They're at 50, 100. And I'll ask them, I'll ask them how, many, how many group squats are we going to do today for our, for our burnout? Let's do 100, coach. No, let's do, let's do 200, coach. Let's do 250. I'm like, dude, we got like five minutes. <laughs> yeah. But those are the dogs, the ones that want it, that love the grind. Why do they love the grind? Because they know it's just going to make them better. We wrestlers work as hard as we can. And anybody from any other sport, unless you've wrestled, you don't know what wrestling is like. And you, I've heard people, basketball's hard too. Sure. It's not wrestling. <laughs> football. Football is not wrestling. I, I can tell you from... A coach's point of view, I coached all of those. Well, not basketball. Track, wrestling, football, I've coached them. The hardest thing is wrestling. The reason wrestlers push themselves to failure 
It's because we know if we can seed when we're exceed. Sorry, when if we can succeed when we're exhausted, we'll exceed when we're fresh. If we can still hit the moves when we can barely walk, how much harder are we going to go when we're fresh? Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering, this is, this is it. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And this is what it is. Suffering, I think Paul must have been a wrestler. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character, hope. Succeeding in your suffering will give you confidence for tomorrow. Succeeding in your grind will give you confidence for tomorrow. One of the great wrestlers, American wrestlers, this guy's name is Dan Gable. Dan was driven as a wrestler. I read his book recently. He was um, one of you know one of the really, if not the greatest. It's arguable, but one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Then, then when I read his story. Like, man, this guy is incredible. He went seven years without losing a single wrestling match. He went undefeated all through high school. Didn't lose in um, he didn't lose in college until, which is kind of depressing, but he lost his uh, final match at the NCAA National Tournament. So he went he won the NCAA National Tournament three times, but took silver his senior year because he got beat. But he said it was the best thing that ever happened to him because he ended up winning um, gold at the Olympics without giving up a single point, which is absolutely unheard of. Doesn't happen. Then he came, came back after winning the Olympics. He's like, there's nothing else to do. <laughs> People can't even score on me. This isn't fun. So he uh, decided to be a wrestling coach at Iowa and just tore it up with Iowa. I mean, the guy coached so many national champs and Olympic champs. And um, I read his book and found, because I was really interested. As a coach, I want to see what drives this coach. What are some things that he does? And so I read his book and come to find out. So he, had, he was a freshman in high school and was already wrestling, doing good. And um, he was walking to school and this guy who he knew to be kind of a bad kid, had a bad reputation, It's like, Hey, Gable, here you're doing pretty good at wrestling. He's like, yeah, thanks. And he just wanted to walk away. Because his wrestling season didn't want to get in trouble or anything. And the kid started mouthing off about his sister, saying some inappropriate things. And still he was like, you know what, it's wrestling season. I'm just going to just gonna go. So a few weeks later, his, it was like spring break or something, and his family had a cabin up in the mountains. And um, So his family was going to go, but his sister asked if she could stay back. And um, she had some stuff going on with school, and they were like, sure, just meet us up there in a few days. So a couple days went by, and she never came. And it was before, like, mobile phones and, like, social media and stuff. So they're calling the house. Nobody's answering. They end up calling a, calling a neighbor. And so they went over to check on her. The doors were locked, so they got the police to come by. Uh, long story short, his um, sister had been raped and murdered in, in the home. So they were driving home. They were driving home uh, from the cabin, and he said it was just silent. And he's sitting in the back seat of the car as a freshman in high school. And all of a sudden, it hit that this kid had said some inappropriate things that kind of, kind of foreshadowed what might have happened. So he I just blurted, I think it was this guy. And his dad pulled over the car and was like, what? Where is this coming from? They had, you know, like an argument discussion. Why did you just now? Why are you just now thinking this? And they end up going. The cops. The cops end up going to this kid's house, and immediately, you know, admitted to everything. So it was this kid that. So Dan had carried this bit of guilt. So they moved out of the house. They were staying at his aunt's house, and Dan had gone to bed but wasn't asleep yet. And he, he had he heard his parents because you know sometimes when 
trauma hits the family, the only people you can hit are the people that are, close, that are closest to you. So they're arguing. Dan comes out of his room at, as a freshman in high school or the room at that house, and he said, you know what? I'm moving back home, and I'm going to live in my sister's room. And he said he got his fight, his drive to fight from the fact that his sister fought her attacker until she was killed. And so he got his grind. He got his fight. He got his fight because he learned how to fight out of something that was so traumatic. That's where he was able to get get his fight from. Then you fast forward to um, the... He was a coach at Iowa, and there's this kid who had been tearing it up in high school. And um, he brought him in as a freshman, and he lost his first match, which normally as freshmen you do what's called redshirt him, basically like benches him, right? And you get to wrestle for four more years, but your kid gets to at least practice with the team and get better. Well, he brought him in as a true freshman. He wrestled his first match, and he lost. So Dan, being the awesome coach that he is, he got three guys to wrestle this kid in the big arena. It was, it was Hawkeye Carver Arena. Filled the stadiums, got this kid to wrestle three matches because he believed in them. But one thing he didn't tell the kid was that these other guys were not allowed to win. He went behind his back and was like, listen, I don't care. Wrestle hard, lose by two points, lose by eight point, get pinned. I don't care. Wrestle, make it look real. So he went out and wrestled, got three wins, three nights in a row. Then it came to the next match he was supposed to be wrestling. And um, he actually was able to pull out a win. Not only did he pull out a win, that night he went, ended up going undefeated and became the first true freshman to ever win an NCAA national championship title. Why was he able to do those things? Because he had belief. Because he had confidence. I've got kids in my room all the time. I see them... I got a kid in my room right now. His name's Chris Brands. He was awful at the beginning of the season. Couldn't he couldn't make it out of the first minute? He kept getting pinned out of nowhere. He put one wrestling move together, put the, put the kid on the back. Now the kid can't lose. I tell you these stories why? Because sometimes we have to understand that we're in the middle of our suffering for a reason. And then sometimes what we really ought to do is, I love journaling. I love the idea of journaling. Sometimes we need to write down when good things happen, when we come through the mess, because we need to be able to look back and say, you know what? If God brought me through then, he'll bring me through now. I might not feel it right now, but not feeling it doesn't, doesn't, um, isn't the end all be all, right? It's not just because I don't feel good doesn't mean it's not good. Sometimes in the middle of our suffering, we have to look at the fact that God's brought us through in order to get the confidence that we need to go through it again. Suffering, endurance, character, hope. Last thing is, call it what it is. Some of us are wondering when our grind is going to stop. For some of us, your grind will stop when you do. If you're lying or cheating or living in sin, that's not a grind that, that God is putting on you. Stop doing stupid stuff and st stupid stuff will stop happening to you. Sometimes it's that simple. I don't know why I don't have money. Well, you got a $1,000 cell phone. You actually do have money. You got $500 cable bill. You got money. <laughs> if you're having marriage problems, your grind will stop when you decide that reconciliation is more important than being right. But, but I'm right. Who cares? Who cares? You know what is also right? Being happily married. That's right too. You got to decide which one is more right. Well, we should put the toilet paper on this way. Really? You, got, you guys laugh, but I hear the craziest stories. Your grind will stop 
Your grind will stop feeling like a grind when you call it what it is. Your grind isn't just a grind, it's a gift. Everybody say that with me. My grind, my grind. is my gift. my gift. Your grind is a gift because it's the thing that makes you stronger, makes you better, it makes you smarter, it makes you more usable. We pray, God, I want to be used by you. But oftentimes that translates to God as I want to be put through a grind. God, just use me however you want to. God hears, okay, I'm going to put you through the grind. It means sometimes when we say, God, I want to be used, God hear, hears that and puts us through the grind. And sometimes that means, you know what? People aren't going to like you. Sometimes it means you're going to feel like you're all alone. Sometimes it means you're going to lose some friends. You're going to have to go to a third world country. Sometimes that means people are going to call you crazy. You might get sold into slavery, wrongly imprisoned, swallowed by a fish, thrown into a lion's den. You might get chased out of town, stoned, or even crucified. Because those are the things that happened to the early church, the early Christians. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny yourself. What does that mean? Don't give yourself what you want. Stop feeding yourself. I'm not just talking about donuts. I love donuts. <laughs> I'm talking about the things that your spirit, that your, that your spirit is saying, or the, the enemy is saying, give, 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 but your spirit is saying, no. Start listening to the spirit. Stop giving yourself the things that you think you need emotionally. And we make up all of the best excuses to live in sin. I deserve this. I need this. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. What is your cross? The thing that you're supposed to carry. The one thing that you're supposed to carry. Men, be good husbands and fathers. Stop making excuses for not being those things. Be good at it. You know how to be a good father? And I'm new at it. But one thing that I know, if you want to be a good husband, a good father, is you, all you have to do is try. It's all you have to do. You don't have to succeed every time. You just have to try. It's like, you know, they say like, well, almost. Well, almost only works in, in uh, horseshoes and hand grenades. Being, being a good dad, being a good husband, those things happen. It's, it's easier than horseshoes and hand grenades. All you got to do is try. Give a good effort. Think. Prioritize. And Jesus says, follow me. Live like I lived. How did Jesus live? He loved people. He loved all people. Everybody. He loved your neighbors. Love your enemies. Love everybody. And you don't love them differently either. It's the same love. The way you love your neighbor and your wife is the same kind of love you're supposed to love with your enemies. Right? There's one brand. It's God love. You don't get to love your enemies. Oh, I love them. I just don't want to be around them. You got to love them the same way. That's how we live like Jesus. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. Live like Jesus. We're going to close. Let's go ahead and stand together. Put those, spread those out, baby. Just across the front.
Here recently when people come to me and say, Preston, I got a problem. Started correcting them. Preston, I got a problem. No, you have an opportunity. What's the opportunity? Every opportunity, every problem is an opportunity. Every grind is a gift. The moment that we can shift our brains into thinking, you know what? This grind isn't so bad. This grind is going to make me tougher, stronger, better. You know, we say, we say the, the workouts don't get easier. You just get stronger. You get six weeks deep into wrestling season and 50 sprawls don't feel so bad anymore because you got stronger, because you grinded through it, because you didn't quit. I tell my guys all the time, if you're cheating, you're just cheating yourself. You get a kid that's wrestling a match and he looks like he's gassed in the third period when he comes off. I tell him, I'm just honest with my guys. I bet you won't cheat out of your sprawls anymore. It's better to fail in the wrestling room when nobody's looking than to fail in the middle of a mat with a room full of people looking at you. So guys, I don't know what your grind is today. The one thing that everybody, everybody in this room, everybody on the planet has in common, one thing we all have in common is pain. It's hurt. It's a grind. One thing we're, we all have in common is we're all going through stuff. If you're not going through something right now, brace yourself. Because Jesus promised you're going to have trouble. Jesus promised it. It's going to happen. He didn't lie. This is what I want to do today. If you're going through something today, I'm going to have you guys come to the front. I've got little papers all over the, uh, spread out across our altar area. So I want you to do it. Grab a pen, come down. I want you to write down what your grind is. And let's go ahead and do this. If, you, if you're going through something, if you're, if you're going through those troubles that Jesus promised, if you're going through a grind today, or you've been going through it for years, I want you to take a step out. We're going to pray together. Come on down now. Come on down. Yeah, come on down. We've got people moving. Come on down. I'm going to do something kind of fun, a little different outside the box. I want you to write down whatever your grind is. Then I'm going to have my prayer team prepare. Come on. We're going to pray with you, but we're going to do one other thing. Does anybody have... My wife has like a craft section in our house. Like she's got a, like a pegboard with... Like it's actually a wrapping section with like boxes and bags and wrapping paper and tape all in one spot. I'm not real sure though because during Christmas time that wrapping station just becomes the house. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody have like a spot where you keep all your paper? Wrapping paper? You got some wrapping paper? This is what I want you to do. It's a bit of a challenge. I want you to write down your grind I'm going to have prayer team uh, come pray with you. But when you get home, this is your job. I want you to wrap your grind in some wrapping paper. I want you to wrap it up. Make it look as pretty as if you were giving it to your best friend. Make it look good. And then this is the real challenge. I want you to, I want you to take a picture. If you're daring enough, take a picture of it not wrapped Take a picture of what your grind is unwrapped. Then take another picture of it wrapped and then post on social media. This is my grind, but my grind is my gift. Hashtag my grind is my gift.
Know that there's purpose to it. There's a purpose to your grind. It's there to make you stronger, make you better, make you more usable. Let's go ahead. Any of my prayer team, let's go ahead and move. We're going to pray. I'm going to release you. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us back and loving us more and loving us better. God, I pray that you would be with these people. Being in the middle of it is not fun. But God, I pray that you would help them to see the end, to see the purpose, to trust in you, to embrace the grind, knowing that there is purpose and that it's only there to make them better. God, I pray that you would go with with your children, with your people. God, I pray that you would protect them, keep them. God, I pray that you would shine on them and people would meet them and know you because of it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming to Freedom. We're going to pray for a few moments. If you're new, I'd love to meet you in the hospitality room. If you've got a piece of paper, hashtag my grind is my gift.